Is that really what it's all about? Finding a career, doing some fun things, and having the most stuff when it ends. We're going to be looking over the next few weeks at the game of life or about this thing called life and some of the major themes and the the issues we deal with along the way, things like work and play and health and rest. We want to see what the Bible has to say about these things. Today we're going to lay a foundation for that that will weave its way through this whole series. But I want to begin by asking you a question that I hope you'll, you'll think about and fill in the blank. You can kind of do it in your mind. Fill in the blank. Life is blank. Life is blank. Some might say life is good. Others might agree with the philosopher Voltaire who said life is a struggle. You might agree with M. Scott Peck, who said, life is difficult. Boris Gump said, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Einstein said, life is like riding a bicycle. To keep your balance, you must keep moving. The rapper Lil Wayne said, life is a lot like skateboarding. That's all. He didn't tell what he meant by that. <laughs> Others have described our existence by filling in the blank with life is a gamble, life is a highway, a rat race, a bowl of cherries, life is stupid, life is a dead end, life is meaningless, life is a paycheck, life is the weekend, life is a party, dude. Life is a party. What's fascinating, and I think what's most important for us, is what does Jesus have to say about life? What does the scripture say about life? And it turns out a whole lot. I think what we're going to see is that when Jesus talks about life, and and particularly if you look through the gospel of John, and we're going to look at a little piece of John today, Jesus, as he's talking about life, about real life, about religious life, about everyday life, about life with God, about eternal life, about the source of life, the quality of life, he always, everybody say always, He always focuses the conversation on himself. It's always about himself. And if I were to sum up his words about life from all of the Gospel of John, perhaps all of the Gospels themselves, I would take that verse, John 10, 10. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Have it in an abundance. Let's see if we can figure out some of what he's talking about. We're going to walk through that gospel lesson there in John chapter 10, verses 7 through 11. You might take out that scripture sheet. Let me give you the context. The context is the context that happens so often with Jesus. The Pharisees are mad at him again. They're mad at him. Why? Well, because he has just healed a man who had been born blind, and the guy, as he reorients himself to Jesus ends up breaking some religious laws, right? These nitpicky little things. And they throw him out of the synagogue. They basically toss him from the church, right? And, and then they get mad at Jesus. And Jesus, who is ever gracious and is trying to reveal his identity to anybody who has ears to hear, who wants to pay attention, once again is explaining who he really is. And he uses some imagery that they would have very keenly understood this imagery of being a good shepherd. Let's go to that text, starting at verse 7, where Jesus says, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now, he begins with God language. I am was the name with which God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. Moses is like, when I, when I go and I, I do this big task you're giving me to deliver the people, who should I say has sent me? And God says, tell them that I am, that I am has sent you. I exist, that I exist. I am, I am, I am. And whenever Jesus uses that language, it's God language. It's powerful language. I am the door of the sheep. Now, when a shepherd was, was out in the countryside, they, w- they would have to go far afield to find enough grazing land for their flocks because Israel's a deserty, wilderness, rocky country. And so they might go days and days away from their home villages so that they wouldn't necessarily return every night with their sheep. So what the shepherd would do is, is they would build a pen, in effect, a, a closing, uh, an enclosure on a hillside. Uh, made of rock, so it was a a permanent structure. It was an open pen with uh, a rock wall all around it. And and honestly, you can drive out of Jerusalem, not a very far distance, and still see these things on the hillsides of the Judean countryside. These sheepfolds, they're still there. The sheepfold would provide safety and security and protection and rest for the sheep. And of course, it kept away thieves, and it kept away wolves. And back in those days, they also had lions. Now, the sheepfold only had one opening. There was just one opening through which the sheep could go in and out. And there was no door. Instead, at night, the shepherd would lay himself across the opening so that if the sheep were to come in or out, they would have to do so by climbing over his own body. Literally, the shepherd was the door. The shepherd was the door. And that's what Jesus meant when he said, I am the door. Through me, through me alone, people gain access to the safety and security and protection and rest that God gives. It's a radical statement. It's a powerful statement. Jesus opens the way to God. Jesus offers the way to life with God. You know, until I came to a relationship with Jesus Christ, until I allowed him into my life and and I asked to come into his life as well, to me the notion of God was just some vague thing. For me it was like like searching in the dark. I knew the term, but I, I really had nothing to hang my hat on, if you will. I had nothing to which to ascribe, well, what does God mean? And, and like so many people today, I, I would have said, well, you know, basically all the gods are the same, and basically it's all the same path. Jesus never says that. I realize somewhere along the way in my own life how radically arrogant my own statement was. Because when I started to read what he actually said, I went, oh, he's saying something completely different from what I've believed all of my life. In Jesus, we really know and we really experience who God is. Not later, but now. Now. And not just in church, but all the time. Verse 9, I am the door. He repeats himself. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. 
In other words, they won't be lost like a sheep that's out on the hillside at night who's not come into the enclosure of safety and rest and security and provision. Right? Any kind of marauder, any kind of thief, any kind of wild animal can get the one who is outside of me, is what Jesus is saying. They'll be saved, and you will go in, and you will go out, and you will find pasture. Now, that phrase, go in and go out, is a Hebrew phrase, and it's used to describe a life that is at peace, a life that is absolutely safe and secure. In Hebrew thought, when a person could go in and out, they were talking about the ability to go in and out anywhere in their country in safety. There were no marauding forces attacking them at that point. To go in and out was to say that all of life has now come into a place of security. Our nation is secure. Our families are secure. Our lives are secure. That's to go in and to go out. In Israel today, there there are these zones that they've got the nation divided into so that you've got zone C, which is all Israel. You've got zone B, which is uh, both Israeli and Palestinian governed. And then you've got zone A. Zone A is only Palestinian. When you go into a zone A area, which Jericho, for instance, is a place like that. There are all these signs that have been placed there by the Israeli military saying, this is not a place in which Jewish people can go in and out. It's not safe for you here. For us Christians, it was safe. They couldn't go in and out. There's no peace or safety for them there. And of course, you might say the opposite for some of the other zones for the Palestinians. So when you discover through Jesus Christ, what God is really like, and the access that Jesus gives you to God, to his life, to his heart, when you've been rescued from the destruction that is inevitable outside of the pen, when you've been invited to know him, a new sense of safety and security and peace and rest invades your own life. Worry and fear and anxiety, right? These things that so often try to grab a hold of our lives to choke us out and strangle us down, those things can begin to lose their grip. Why? Because of this door through whom you've entered, who offers you the peace, the safety, the security, the rest of knowing God, the one who holds the universe in his hands, who has things under control. Well, verse 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life. Everybody say life. Life. And have it abundantly. Now, Jesus is contrasting what he's offering basically to everything else that is out there. Now, in one sense, you can very realistically read into this verse the thief as being Satan, right? This malevolent spiritual force that's that doesn't like people, and whose goal in people's lives is to keep them from seeing their need for Jesus' life, to blind our minds, to keep us from searching for the thing that will actually satisfy and that we have been created to have, relationship with God. He is malevolent. But here's the thing. There are all kinds of other things in the world that act like thieves and robbers in our existence. We wouldn't necessarily call them those things, but they can so easily steal away the life that God would offer to us. 
I mean, let's think about some of these things. People are constantly trying to find life through avenues that actually, if you're not careful, can lead to death. Think about pleasure for a minute. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. We are created for pleasure. Pleasure is a good thing. But if pleasure becomes an ultimate thing in our lives, oh my goodness, at some point the law of diminishing returns kicks in. hear this all the time with people who find themselves in addiction. It started out good and then it got a hold of me and before long it was death. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon didn't hold back from anything, every pleasure that you could imagine And in the end, he said, it is meaningless. It's empty. It doesn't actually give what it says it will give. I think about possessions and wealth. Nothing wrong with stuff, right? It's often a great blessing. But think about this for a minute. Have you ever noticed that sometimes, like when your possessions and your wealth increases, you actually become less content? You actually begin to have more anxiety. I've actually found myself at times in a season of blessing going, i got to hold some of this back rather than being open-handed like I was when I didn't have nothing. (laughs) Somebody gets it. Somebody gets it. Think about power and position, right? That's something that our culture values, status, achievement. But here's the thing, I've talked to people along the way in this journey who have achieved status, position, the things everybody says you should have, and they have this gnawing kind of fear within them that it could all collapse at any given minute if they are not absolutely diligent, working 24-7 to maintain and to control, and I can tell you that's not life. And the honest ones have admitted and confessed along the way, you're right, that isn't life. It's exhausting. Jesus says, I've come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. Life is found in me, Jesus says. And I want to give it to you in not just a little measure, not just kind of a measure, not just a lot of measure, in abundance, in superabundance, you could translate that. Think of a, a river that has swollen in the rains and it's overflowing its banks. You can't even see the rocks that you once would have crossed uh, over to get to the other side. I've come to give you a life in superabundance that overflows your existence and affects the world, the people all around you. Where we get this wrong so often, we being Christians, the church, is we think, oh, he means he's going to give us life after death. And, and so we're aiming out there somewhere. Well, it includes that. It does include that, but what he's saying is, I've come to give you heaven's life now. I've come to give you eternal life now. I've come to give you God's presence now, and it will last beyond the time in which your body, everybody say, my body, body. the time in which your body expires. This is just an earth suit you're wearing for a season. It's going to expire and wear out. Many Christians think salvation is like, you remember, all right, some of you will have to think back. Some of you have never seen this, but I hope you'll get it. Y'all remember the old Star Trek, the TV series? Maybe some of you have seen it on YouTube if you didn't see it in its first run along the way. Captain Kirk, right? It's all hitting the fan. 
The Klingons are coming. He pulls out his little transponder and he says, what? Beam me up, Scotty. Too many of us think that's what Jesus is offering, an escape out of this mess where the Klingons are rampaging. That's not at all what he's talking about. Jesus is saying, I will make up there, beam me up. I will make up there, come down here. I will take from the good place and bring it down into the bad place. And of course, we're going to pray that. We pray it every week. We do it in the Lord's Prayer. We say, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? Huh. You didn't know you prayed that every single week. Some of you pray that every day. On earth as it is in heaven. Bring up there down here. Bring up there down here for what purpose? Bring up there down here into my office. Bring up there down here into my family. Bring up there down here into my life group. Bring up there down here into our neighborhood, into my school, into my uh, roommate situation. Bring up there down here into the classroom. Bring up there down here into everything that I do, Lord, into all that I am, starting with my life, my body, my sphere of influence. Jesus is making the greatest offer in the world. The good shepherd, the one who lays down his life for the sheep. And of course, we know that happens through the cross. And then he takes it back up again in the resurrection as he ascends into heaven. And then he and the Father send the Holy Spirit to invade our lives, to make kingdom reality, heaven reality, God reality come in us so that it can superabound through us, not just to beam us up and get us out of the mess, but so that he can bring his life into the mess, sometimes changing it, sometimes allowing us to be his witness while everybody else is freaking out all around. You just suddenly have this kingdom, eternal, everlasting peace, security, groundedness. You're going in and out of things that other people are panicking over and scrambling even harder to fix and control and manipulate and change. I have come, Jesus said, to give you life, not just to get you to heaven, but to get heaven in you so that you can give heaven to other people. This is the offer of life. As we look in these weeks ahead, about things like work and rest and play and health, we're going to look at the ways in which heaven invades those spheres, not in some esoteric way, but concretely through you and me and all those who call upon the name of the Lord. He set a stage today. His offer to you is life, and not just a pity paltry of a life, but a powerful, peaceful, joyful, exuberant, superabundance right where you live. Is that good news? It's good news. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you this morning that you would invade our hearts with this kingdom life, this abundant life. Help us, Lord, to, to begin to transform our thinking from it's for later to, oh, no, it's now. 
Lord, not just our thinking, would you invade our experience so that we might live this out? We might live out your life as you live your life in us, releasing goodness and kindness and mercy and love and compassion and joy and peace and self-control and faithfulness and all the things that you are. Would you do that in us and through us? so that people would go, look at how beautiful Jesus is. We pray this, Lord, in your name. Amen.